Welcome to the first episode of Changing Opinions on Hunting. Um, today I am with a fellow avid hunter, Hayden Velker, and we will be talking about hunting and the stigma around it and why we think it is a good thing for wildlife habitat and population in general. So I'll start out and have Hayden introduce himself and tell us what he hunts and other outdoor activities he does and whatever else he can think of. So Hayden, take it away. How are we doing? My name is uh, Hayden. I've been hunting for probably three years now, um, really hardcore. Uh, you know, I've been hunting since I was a kid, but I kind of got out of it. And then uh, Tyler here got me into fishing, and then we kind of both got into hunting, and we've just been full bore ever since. Uh, I primarily hunt white-tailed deer in uh, southern Illinois, and uh, turkeys when we get a chance, but we're not as good at turkey hunting as we are at deer hunting, so... But we we do our uh, we do our fair share of hunting, and we do a, a fair share of traveling, fishing, and stuff like that. So we're we're pretty big into the outdoor industry, and like to consider ourselves a um, semi professional, educated on the subject. So um, yeah, for sure. So I've got a few a few talking points today. Um, the first being. A lot of people have these stigmas on hunting and they say oh it's bad for the environment and it's bad for the animals you're hunting and they like to label hunters as just bad people that don't care about the environment when they think of a hunter they think of somebody going out there um, shooting as many animals as they can drinking beer smoking cigarettes just kind of a rugged person and doesn't really care about what they're hunting or where they're hunting so um, and, made, and not to say is those people don't exist because they do, but those people are always the uh, the more looked at than the yeah. the ethical, the respectful hunters that are far more of the uh, of the population. I feel like most guys who go out are respectful, they're ethical, and they they respect the animal to a point of of more than just looking at it, but studying it and knowing it, and really having a connection with the animals they hunt more than someone would if they just uh you know drove by one on the road yeah yep and it's um the more controversial hunters that do things the wrong way is usually what people end up seeing um so uh one of the issues uh, i've talked to you about before is censorship and social media and that's one of the big issues that hunters face um and there's a there's a podcast from the hunting public called social media censorship of hunting with brad luttrell and they talk about um, censorship in the hunting world and how it it lowers the numbers of potential hunters and outdoorsmen in the future because it's kind of labeling it as a bad thing and not letting not letting people see what it's all about. And so we're here today to try to combat some of these um, I wouldn't say lies, but misconceptions about hunting. So. Um, the first one being the environmental aspect of it. So, um, there, when you buy hunting products, whether, I don't know if you know this or not, Hayden, but every single hunting product that you purchase has a tax on it 
um, the Pittman Robertson tax, and that that goes for that goes for weapons, that goes for clothing, that goes for backpacks, anything to do with hunting that has camouflage on it or any sort of thing like that. And you know, everything from ammunition to uh, the firearms themselves to camo products to uh, you know archery equipment. Basically, anything you're going to use for hunting, there's a tax that is uh, implemented on it, and it is it is a federal tax, and then states get a portion of that tax if they uphold certain standards of the the federal uh, conservation uh, group. Yeah, and those those taxes go straight into habitat funding and. Uh, funding your CPOs, your conservation police officers, and biologists, and all of this stuff that goes with it. So, that's a big, that's a big plus in my opinion about um, hunting is the the funding for it. And that's not to mention your tags and your license and your stamps. Like you were trying to get a duck stamp the other day, weren't you, Hayden? And that was yep, what I sure was five dollars uh, or. It's uh, it's twenty five dollars, I believe, and it goes directly into uh, waterfowl habitat and management. That's the reason it was started. Every year, you have to buy a, a federal stamp and a state stamp, and it goes into uh, the habitat, uh, you know, maintenance and making sure there's still ducks flying and geese flying. Um, but you have to buy a state one because you're hunting in that state and a federal one because ducks are migratory. So they fly all the way from Canada and Alaska all the way down into, into Arkansas and Texas and into the southern states. And that that is to hunt ducks and geese, any sort of waterfowl, correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. So that is another big plus. So all these funds that hunters are paying for, and as any hunter will know, and if you're not a hunter, I'll tell you, hunting and fishing are very, very expensive sports, and they're pretty much money pits. So yep. all this money that we spend on it goes straight into habitat funding and basic uh, basic good for the animals that we were hunting. So, And I've heard it said, and I, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard multiple people say that the white-tailed deer would not be as prevalent as it is today you wouldn't have to worry about hitting one with your car on the interstate if it wasn't for hunters because hunters have have boosted habitats they've made sure that there's tag limits and you know certain certain laws and uh, regulations in place to make sure that the white-tailed deer is still a a viable resource and a viable species yeah so um actually as you say that we will we'll go into our next point so um I have a quote here from Gladowski. Um, it's an article from Mossy Oak, and he was talking about populations in turkeys. And he said, in 1820, about 5% of Americans were living in cities. After only 40 years, 20% of Americans lived in an urban environment. This increase is the most considerable demographic shift in American history. So, as you said, there weren't hardly any deer, and we brought them back. But now yeah. the issue is we are destroying the habitat that we have, and these animals are forced to live in controlled areas like cities and stuff like that. So, um, basically, what I'm wondering is 
well, no, I'm not wondering, I guess. Um, so, you know, Hayden, of course, we live in rural Illinois, and we don't have a lot of big cities, so our animals kind of stay on the outskirts of the cities, but there's a, uh, a big YouTuber called Seek One, and they hunt in urban Atlanta, Georgia, correct? Yes. And well, they hunt in a lot of cities around the U.S., but they're based out of Atlanta in the suburbs. So, yeah, they, they control the populations of the deer that live in the city by archery hunting. Mm-hmm. And that is a big issue is these um, wild animal species are moving into places like cities that they are not meant to be in and causing damage to landscaping and uh, mm-hmm. pools and cars and um, what else? Well, I mean, she, you'll see a, a video on Instagram every day of a deer in somebody's yard. I mean... Like during the rut, you know, they're causing damage and stuff, so. And not to mention for the deer's, for the deer's sake, that's not where they prefer to live, but we've kind of, you know, we've kind of intruded on what they normally are living on. And when we go in and we create, you know, huge cities and huge sprawling urban areas, the deer don't really have anywhere to go. So they just try to find, you know, little, little nooks and crannies where they can live and survive and thrive. And, uh, it ends up taking a toll not only on them, but also on, on us and our, our financial well being. When you, uh, when you hit deer with your car, obviously it's not cheap. And, uh, you know, I've hit three within a year. So yep. I'm a pretty well an expert on that one. I do know that. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah. It's it's crazy because uh, these these cities like take Chicago for example, it started off as a city you know but then there's so much suburban development like um, yeah. neighborhoods and all that stuff and these deer they don't get pushed out they just get built around pretty much and yeah. they have nowhere yeah. they have nowhere to live I mean they're living in somebody's backyard so yeah so. You know, with with hunting, you can control these populations, and you can you can really sort of you can help these deer thrive. And if you're not a hunter and you're against hunting, I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, you're going to help them thrive by killing them. Well, yes, because you know hunters tend to kill mature deer that are you know past their reproductive prime, and they're past their uh, their they've lived a full long life. And yeah, it, it's it's a question to be like, well, who's you know, how are you supposed to know if it's lived a good life? Well, I don't, but I am saying that when I shoot a deer, I know when I shoot it, I'm going to shoot one that is mature and not one that has just been born this past year, two years ago or whatever. Um, but hunters tend to thin out the population of the older, older species of the herd or older, older individuals of the herd so that the rest of the herd can thrive. Yeah, so that that actually ties into uh, trophy hunting, which we'll get into a little bit later in the podcast. But um, like you said, even even if they're not shooting mature deer, it's still you're still thinning the numbers, and you're providing the ones that are left. You're providing more food. Um, yep. So more habitat, more more places to go. Yep. And better opportunities for them to reproduce the next year. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a weird concept, but it makes a lot of sense if you really look at it 
yeah. through the eyes of a hunter. But um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, so hunting and conservation and sportsmanship. So yeah. you obviously have taken a hunter safety course. You know, I mean everybody everybody that wants to hunt in Illinois has to take a hunter safety course, and that's countrywide, I believe. Correct? Yes, yes, it is. At least I don't know about every state because every state has a different uh you know regulation system and whatnot but i know for a fact that montana does because we're we're planning on going to montana next uh spring when i was looking into tags it said you know you need a a hunter safety course and if you take one in illinois like what i did and what tyler did it's good for uh for any other state yeah and i i do believe that is 50 state wide unless there's yeah. certain exceptions I would but, imagine it is, but I don't. I don't want to say that it is and be wrong. But I know most states require a hunter safety class. But yeah. um, you were you were taught hunting ethics and hunting safety and conservation in that class, correct? Yeah. Yes, and you were required to to know all this, and you have to take a test, and you have to ace that test to be able to purchase a hunting license and go and harvest an animal. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that ties in, well, it doesn't tie in, um, that actually shows that regardless of how much conservation and sportsmanship you partake in after your class, you still have to learn about it and understand what it is before you are able to start hunting. And I, I do believe, so the best example I can give is if you're a basketball player and you play basketball on your gym floor, you want that gym floor to be spotless for your game. You don't want scuffs in it. You don't want marks on it. And you really care about this gym floor. Now, for let's say for me, example, I don't play basketball, and I'm not a real big basketball fan. So would I walk around the gym, or would I walk through it if I didn't know any better? I'm probably going to walk through the gym and maybe make scuff marks and maybe make it not as pretty and get dust on it because I don't play basketball and I don't get that. So a hunter is going to take care of the populations and the habitat that he hunts on because he cares about that area. Yeah, and not just not just so we can hunt him, these animals, and not just so we can kill them and harvest their meat and, and eat it and feed it to our friends and families, but also because... When you hunt for an animal, you tend to have a, a more, a higher level of respect and intimacy with that animal and with that species. So you, you tend to care about them more in a way that most people wouldn't understand unless you hunt for these animals. Yeah, and I mean, even a lot of guys call it tree stand therapy when they're deer hunting because it's, it's truly a time when you get out there and you are one with nature you're most times alone and you just some people just watch these animals because it's fun and yeah. it's just really cool to see how they interact and live in the wild without any human intervention so yes i almost i like it just as much getting to see an animal that i'm either going to pass on or i don't get to have a shot at just watching them is just as interesting and just as fascinating and exciting as it is to actually harvest one yeah yeah i i agree 100 percent i I can go on 
30 different hunts and not kill anything but still enjoy every second i'm out there if i'm seeing deer yep. or, or turkey or whatever it is because it's it's cool to watch them and it's cool to see how they interact and yeah it's the only time you really get to be in nature with these animals opposed to just you know watching them from from inside or outside in yeah because i mean you drive by them in the road and you see a little glimpse of it but you don't you're not out there with them watching them behave and walk out and everything so i i get that 100 yep. percent. you know yeah yeah i got a i got a quote from stephen Rennell actually which is a he's a big um what would you say conservationist um I would outdoorsman. Say he's a grand conservationist he is the head or not the head but he's on the board of uh the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Program, um, which is a really big organization that does a lot for habitat and species. And he's the host of Meat Eater, uh, the show on Netflix. And he also has his own podcast, which is very informative. So if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend you giving it a listen. He He talks about all sorts of stuff in the outdoor world, and it's very, very cool podcast. So... But um, here's the quote, market hunters nearly drove the buffalo to extinction. People who were shooters, who in an unregulated fashion with no oversight whatsoever, killed off American wildlife in order to sell it to the large metropolis, shot all the ducks, shot all the buffalo, shot all the deer, sold it off. It was hunters that eventually put it, or put in place the extremely fixed system of wildlife management that we have today. So. Yeah, in the 1880s, they would uh, they'd go out west and they'd kill millions of buffalo. Obviously, not all at one time, but they would kill a couple hundred on one kill. And uh, you can look up pictures of like market hunting and buffalo hunting back in the 1880s, and they've got mountains like you know a couple hundred feet high of bones and just skulls, and it's it's really something terrible to look at, but. It's, it's weird because, yes, that's a terrible thing, and I, I disagree with market hunting, especially back in the 1880s because it almost, you know, uh, extinct the American buffalo. But because of that, we have, we've created a lot of regulations and a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, good things for the environment for these animals. So I absolutely agree. Um, the next point, so we're running a little bit low on time, so I'm going to try to speed it up a little bit um so the last point i wanted to bring up hayden is um how legal hunting does not affect wildlife populations so yeah you can talk about that can't you oh for sure okay so if you've never bought a hunting license or a hunting tag uh at least in illinois the way you can hunt deer is you buy one buck tag one male deer tag and you can buy one uh female or a doe tag and uh, basically what you can do after that is you can kill a buck and you can kill a doe. But then after that, you get one more buck, and then you can get as many doe as possible, as much as you want to pay for it. So what this does is it, it allows males to have a higher density than the females because naturally there's going to be more females than males because, you know, guys want to go out. They want to shoot a big buck, you know, and I understand that. That's what I'm doing too. But guys tend to not shoot as many does so they let they let you purchase more doe tags which helps regulate the population to help further balance it um and with turkeys uh here in illinois like last year i didn't get tags um year before i got one tag um i think the year before that i didn't get one and it's just 
you basically enter a lottery, and if you happen to win a tag, you get a tag and you get to kill a turkey. But the reason they do this is because there's a limited number of people or a limited number of turkeys and an unlimited number of hunters. So they limit it. They make you get a drawing, and then you know if you're lucky enough to get one, you get one. And then not everyone who gets a tag kills a turkey, and that kind of helps regulate the population and make sure the turkeys are still healthy and viable as a species. And this, yeah, so this, uh, this, these, all these numbers and these tags in the lottery system, that is based off of wildlife biologists that work for the state yes. that determine the populations based on previous harvest reports and tag birds and all this other stuff. So they know, they know roughly how many turkeys and deer and ducks and whatever else it is that they have in an area. And they work hard to preserve these animals and make sure that there is the correct amount killed to sustain populations for future generations. So this conception of, um, oh, hunters are just going to go kill all the animals, that is, that is wildly false. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, the Department of Natural Resources or Game and Fish, depending on what state you're in, wouldn't let that happen. They have yeah. they have a lot of regulations and a lot of set uh, set laws and uh, specific you know specific numbers that they're trying to keep for the habitat and for the animals themselves to to remain viable as a resource. Yeah, and this is I'm not gonna. There are poachers that will kill what they're not supposed to, but mm -hmm. but that's it's a far less number. Yeah, and and it's illegal. Of course. Yes, it's very illegal, and it is. You have to pay a pretty penny if you get caught doing it. So yep, large fines. So yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, the only other thing I have is trophy hunting. A lot of people will frown upon trof upon trophy hunting, and honestly, I don't really get it because yes, as sportsmen, we should we should be hunting for meat, and yes. That is what we're supposed to do. But at the same time as hunting has evolved and we're not relying on this food to survive, trophy hunting is actually, in my opinion, a good thing because we are letting these animals get to a size that they're mature and have lived a, a full life. And honestly, after maturity, they're probably going to die a not-so-great life. So I... Because... You know, people like to paint a pretty picture of what animals do in the wild, but they aren't just sipping, uh, you know, sipping daiquiris and having the time of their life. You know, they've got predatory animals and disease and just everything else trying to kill them. Starvation, and, I mean. And as far as I'm concerned, I'd rather be, uh, you know, shot and die within, you know, a couple hours than be eaten on for a couple days and just, you know, some graphic, graphic stuff because nature isn't nice and it's never going to be. Yeah. So. And I mean, there's there's videos of big bucks getting into fights and getting locked up, and then they inevitably inevitably end up killing each other because they're locked up and they can't get free. And there's just a million bad ways to die in the wild, and mm -hmm. getting shot is honestly one of the best ways to go, I think. But yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, and you'll get these organizations like PETA and they want to remove hunting rights because they make all these claims. And I actually went on the PETA website and looked at some of these claims and there is no evidence to back them up and they're wildly false. And 
if you scroll down on the how to stop hunting portion, it says to organize protests on hunting land and put deer or put human hair around hunting areas to scare deer away, which is highly highly illegal because there is a law. Let me look it up real quick. Um, it's the hunter harassment law. Hunter harassment laws. Yes, that's what it is. They're different across the whole country, but in essence, you cannot disrupt a hunter while they're hunting. And that's so PETA basically just tells them right there to go do illegal stuff. So say what you want about that, but I don't know. There's just a, a big push on making hunting illegal, and I don't think enough people understand exactly what it is. So. Yeah, and and they're never going to unless you actually get to go out and do it, and get to experience the things that that hunters experience and get to see, and and uh, you really just got to do it to understand it. Yeah, and I mean even even if you don't do it, talk to somebody that does it and mm -hmm. and find out. So. Yeah. So um, those are those are uh, our ideas on hunting, and whether you agree with them or not, I. Thank you for listening to it, and maybe it did change your mind. So uh, um, thanks for coming on and talking with me, Hayden. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yep. And um, I hope we change your mind. So <laughs> we'll see you.